Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this is MC Car Guys Podcast. You can find us on all the social media at MC Car Guys. And drop us a line at mzcarguys at gmail.com. And also follow us at anchor.fm forward slash mzcarguys. So today's a little um, buffet because we're doing multiple cars. Yeah, it's well, you know, it's when when the two when the two car companies you're talking about are Mitsubishi and Nissan, then you kind of go, well, okay, sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's one of those things of you know the, these are two companies that. <clears throat> used to be absolute powerhouses. Um, uh, I, I first have, have to apologize. Um, it's, it got really warm today, and I have no air conditioning in my house, and uh, the breeze was non-existent. So my, I've got like a billion fans going on right now to suck all the cold air in. So, so if you hear kind of a what sounds like I'm, you know, uh, skydiving. Uh, I'm not skydiving. I, it's just a bunch of fans. Anyways, uh, so yes, uh, Mitsubishi and Nissan, uh, two, P, two companies that used to be powerhouses and um, definitely if you play a lot of racing games, um, they are very much represented. Uh, but, and, and the thing is, I think they've fallen off for very different reasons. Uh, please do tell. Well, at the risk of getting ahead of ourselves, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. So <laughs> go for it. You know, like I'm so linear all the time. Um, the it's, it's generally agreed within the enthusiast community that what, what killed off Mitsubishi for all intents and purposes in the U S is the very thing that was, they were attempting to use to rebuild the company, which is the Lancer evolution. Yes. The Evo. As it's more commonly known. So the trouble with it was basically was that you had uh, a mid mid size to smaller size car company who had this incredible product and this incredible product created this amazing demand within the enthusiast community. It won all kinds of rally races. If you wanted a fast all-wheel drive car in the early 2000s, your only choices were Subaru WRX, Subaru Impreza WRX STI or the Lancer yep. Evolution. Yep. So, Mitsubishi didn't have the resources to both put a bunch of money into this amazing four-cylinder engine that you could boost to the moon and back and also make a bunch of other cars. And as a result, they poured so many resources into the Evo, which was, let's face it, an enthusiast car that sold in the thousands and tens of thousands, not in the hundreds of thousands and half millions. That like everything else, Right, exactly. To, to sustain a car company that you had to, then everything else fell by the wayside. And as a result, they just, they just fell farther and farther behind. You know, the Montero was a body on frame when everything else was going crossover. And you can get into the, you know, the ins and outs of some other stuff. But, but Nissan is different because Nissan started out about the same size as Mitsubishi, as I understand it. But what they found out was they couldn't compete in terms of product with Toyota and Honda. 
make it the same kind of car. We're talking about the Altima, the Sentra, and to a much lesser extent, the Maxima. So what they did was they said, okay, well, then we're going to be the cheap Japanese car company. We are going to do, we are going to be, we are going to go full rental. We're going to go max fleet. That's how we're going to sustain ourselves. We're going to be the cheaper alternative with the cachet of having it being Japanese manufactured, which means we don't fall apart after 50,000 miles. Yeah, and and they also they they jumped into to try to save themselves, you know, the the Nissan Leaf. They they, they try to go full electric, which I absolutely applaud them for. Oh yeah, for um, sure. That's sort of their biggest success of the 21st century. Yeah, so so let's kind of start a little bit from the beginning. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting because whereas with uh, Toyota, which is part of a family name or which is a, a, a version of, of, of a family name and Honda of course is a family name and so forth. Uh, Nissan and uh, what was originally Datsun is actually um, it, it, it's kind of like an amalgamation uh, sort of. Um, mm-hmm. So Datsun originally called Dot D-A-T uh, which was the initials of uh, the, the the company's investors' uh, surnames, uh, Den Ayoma. I, I, I'm not sure why you. I, anyways, anyways, D A T, and then of course in Japanese you add Sun, so it's Dot Sun, and so D A T and Sun. So some of the first uh, companies, uh, so some of the first automobiles were called Dots or dot sons. Um, and then in the 30s, uh, when the Tokyo Stock Exchange came around, uh, the, the holding company which owned dot sun at the time was Nihon, N-I-H-O-N, uh, S-A-N-G-Y-O, Sangyo. So Nihon Sangyo, I believe. Um, but the abbreviation on the Tokyo Stock Exchange was Nissan, N-I-S-S-A-N. And so that's how they were on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. That's how people found them. And so they just made Nissan. So, and then, of course, in the, in the late 70s, they became one company all called Nissan. So... Yeah, which was confusing for Americans when it happened, um, especially, if, I mean, for me as a kid, seeing it, because all we knew was you had cars like the Datsun, and I want to say 260Z or 280Z, um, which was called the Fair Lady in Europe, I think it was. Um, and then all of a sudden you had the Datsun badge went away and the Nissan badge took its place, but the cars looked exactly the same. Yeah, so you had... And it, it took a long time for Americans to kind of wrap their heads around that. Yeah, well... You had the, um, the, 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 the Roadsters originally, you know, many, many years ago. Um, and then um, it, it started in America with the, with, with the, with the 240Z, which was a fantastic car. Caught everybody completely by surprise because uh, I believe it was 1971. Um, and it was kind of interesting because uh, 
Anyway, but I, no, I, right. I, I, well, well, sorry, no, no, this is an important question. Sorry, important question. So, is that is the 240Z different than the Nissan 240SX? Oh, yeah, by far. Okay, okay, because all the enthusiasts today, you know, all the you know, wannabe drifters and stuff, all, all drive a 240SX, so that's a very different car. Okay, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the 240Z was a purpose built, uh, mild sports car. And not really that mild. I mean, you're talking, you know, a light car, um, you know, long hood, short overhangs, um, you know, kind of a, a fastback design kind of a thing, a la uh, very much uh, like Ford Mustang kind of proportions, um, you know, Chevy Camaro right. <clears throat> kind of proportions, long, long hoods and stuff. Um but with an inline Was six cylinder that, that, that did rev quite high. Okay. Um, and so the, yeah, the 240, which was really good. Uh, the 260, which wasn't, which was very quickly uh, superseded by the 280. Um, and, and that's the 280 was the classic one, right? With that, the circular headlights that sat like straight out, but they were like recessed into the hood a bit, like they were like a foot. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, that that all did start with the 240. I mean, the 240. So the so the 240, the 260, the 280, uh, and the original 300 all had kind of like setback headlights, kind of in there. Um, the, okay. the 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 40, the 60, and the 80 had had the round ones, and then the and then eventually the 300 would kind of go to more of a square, and then right. fixed headlights. Stuff like that. So okay. So and then and then the long hood with that was that was a reflection of the inline six engine. Is that right? Uh, reflection of I mean yeah yeah you did have the inline six, uh, but also just kind of like the, just that really kind of nice rakish shape to it. It's 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 a real okay. nice kind of long hood and you know kind of fast back you know back end and stuff like that. So. It really kind of gave way to like a really sporty style. I mean, when you look at it, you don't think, oh, well, you know, obviously that's a family sedan, you know, because it's just, it's, it's nice. Right. Right. Um, Clearly not. Yeah. But anyways, but yeah, so the, you know, so, so you had, you know, I, I, and I know we're skipping over because you have the whole Bluebirds. So the, the Nissan Bluebird was basically their main sedan. Uh, for many, 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 many years. Um, you know, that's also where we got like the Datsun 210 and 510 series, the 510 series being like one of, one of a favorite, uh, it has a real cult following as far as, um, especially over in Europe and stuff, uh, of, of like the car culture and everything. Uh, the Bluebirds also had these really nice kind of, uh, uh, mirrors that were way far out on the fenders uh, as opposed to being right outside oh, yeah. the doors. Just that real kind of right. nice almost, look to it. Stuff. Like over the tires almost. Yeah. And, and that's also when they started uh, with the Bluebird is when they started to get into rally racing and stuff like that. Um, so. What, sorry, real quick. Was the Bluebird a contemporary of like the Toyota Corona, like that kind of time period, like those early square Japanese sedans? Um, sort of more, more, um, it, it, it depends. I mean, it, it was, um, 
it was it was kind of a platform more i mean okay. so, so they made bigger vehicles smaller vehicles stuff like that so so i i, I guess you could say potentially like the corona or the cressida you know as far as like toyotas and stuff um okay like like uh yeah, I guess I guess you could. I mean, definitely a, a contemporary of uh, the Accord. Absolutely. Oh, really? Okay, because because the, the Accord didn't come out till '76, so I was trying to figure out how. Yeah, far but back. I'm saying as far as like size wise. Okay, size wise, not necessarily time period. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So. But yeah, mm-hmm. they were, you know, they they, they were very much into, uh, like racing with, the Bluebird and stuff, and so. You know, like I said, the, the the whole Bluebird line is very much uh, part of, not necessarily in the United States, um, but definitely uh, over like Europe and stuff like that. Now, one of the vehicles we did get, and we're not really going to get too much into history kind of a thing um, with these two car companies necessarily. Um, mainly because it, it's it's a little bit easier just to kind of talk about the companies um, themselves for the most part. Um, but but I think we can automatically just kind of skip over to, um, you know, because in in the in the in the eighties and in the early nineties and most of the nineties actually, Nissan was definitely right in there with Toyota and Honda. Um, they, they didn't have the, uh, the, the same, um, the same financial power, um, mainly because they were kind of, they had been passed around from, you know, a couple different places, you know, a couple different companies and so forth. And so, um, but you did have, you know, during the 90s, you had the Nissan Sentra, uh, which I still to this day um, think was a little bit nicer than the Civic in the early 90s and definitely nicer than the Corolla at the same time. I heard that as well. Um, and, and I personally had... Um, a 99 Nissan Altima uh, in a stick shift GXE and we owned that car for 10 years we we bought it with 32,000 miles on it and we drove it to 198,000 miles and and that car I mean it, it was a fantastic car An absolutely fantastic wonderful car um, you know, we just, you know, California emissions law is what killed that. Uh, so, well, it was, and, 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 and I don't know how many people out there kind of understand. So it used to have what was called 49 state cars and California cars. Um, so you had. They still do in a lot of cases. Yeah. So uh, a 49 state car. So my, my Nissan Altima was a 49 state car. So it was perfectly fine in all the rest of existence, except for the wonderful little boomerang-shaped state 
that we of California. And when I got here, I had to get it smugged, uh, you know, get it, get the emission stuff. And it said that I needed a catalytic converter. So I was like, all right, that's fine. So I priced out a catalytic converter for it and installed in any other state of the United States installed. It would have cost me $400, but in the state of California, I had to get the California approved catalytic converters, which was three catalytic converters all molded into the exhaust manifold and installed. It was only $2,800. So I was slightly pissed about that. So, you know, but fantastic car drove fantastic road. Wonderful. Um, you know, but they just, I don't know. They just kind of lost their mojo, you know? Well, I think, like you said, they didn't have the same financial resources. So when the, when the Japanese economy collapsed in the late nineties, uh, it hit them worse than it hit Honda or Toyota. And Mitsubishi also. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and since you brought up Mitsubishi, let's just go ahead and continue that tangent for a minute. Cause I think doing these two back and forth kind of makes some more sense to kind of show the parallels and the differences. Um, Mitsubishi to me is a classic example and a shining example of that Japanese idea where a business name dips its toe into a whole bunch of different products that seem totally unrelated. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mitsubishi's electronics division is a whole lot more powerful than their automotive division. Well, and even their automotive division is, I mean, just a complete, you know, it's just a plethora of different things because you have, um, I mean, anybody who's a history buff knows that the main fighting aircraft of World War II for the Empire of Japan was the Mitsubishi Zero. Um, right, right. I which is actually that. not its name. Uh, I can't remember its name uh, right at the top, and I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but they called it Zero just because of the, the circle kind of symbol on it. And they said, oh, there's a Zero. And so they kind of... Um, but... But yeah, I mean, you know, you had, you know, they, it was, <laughs> so, it, I mean, it, it all started off as the, uh, the, the Mitsubishi shipbuilding company. Um, and, uh, and then they kind of started playing around with cars and stuff like that. Uh, but, um, well, and, and yeah. it's just, I mean, like, Mitsubishi is, last I checked, was the number one, was the largest manufacturer of turbos, just the turbo itself, to mm-hmm. other manufacturers to put in their engines. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I'm not positive, but I, it's very possible that they're, they're the turbos that even go in like McLarens. Um, actually, fun fact, since we're talking about the two companies, um, the 3.8 and the 4 liter engines that are used in the McLaren supercars right now, or McLaren cars in general, and I describe a supercar. Those are all based off of an ancient Nissan V8 engine that McLaren uh, redid, re-engineered, and brought out in 3.8 and 4.0 liter versions. 
Yeah. Well, Mitsubishi to me is, I, I, I think if you, if you take a look at, like, if you were to try to think of, um, like, fast cars of the, of the 90s, you have the, uh, you have the Mitsubishi Eclipse, well, uh, which was available in turbo and all-wheel drive turbo. That's that's fast with air quotes. No, no, it was the the, the turbo Mitsubishi Eclipse in the nineties was a fast car. Are you sure you don't mean the three thousand GT? I am positive I don't mean the three thousand GT. Okay, because that's the, the only 3, car I can think of. Yeah, the three thousand GT was also a fast-ish car. The the problem with the three thousand GT was is you could get those with a lot of horsepower, and they were also available in the VR four, uh, which was their all wheel drive kind of super handling kind of thing. Um, and but the problem with the 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 three thousand GT was the fact that it was ridiculously heavy. It was way heavy. And so the 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 Eclipse the the Eclipse uh, GSX, uh, which was the turbocharged version, all-wheel drive Mitsubishi Eclipse, um, is probably one of the best handling cars of the '90s, just because of the fact that it was really small. Uh, it was actually uh, slightly smaller than. Uh, the equivalent uh, Corolla and Civic. Um, so it was light. You could get them with, I think, upwards of, um, hold on, there we go, Eclipse. Okay. That is a small car. Like, people forget back in the 90s, like, what we consider a compact car today, back then those were considered, like, midsize. I mean, a 90s mid 90s civic or corolla was not much room in the back seat for actual human beings oh no yeah i yeah i i actually almost purchased a a gst convertible um cuz we got we uh the pl- the place that i used to work when i first started selling cars we did high end used cars and we got in one on trade and uh it was, it was nice. It was super fast. It was stick shift. Um, that turbo was just insane. Uh, the problem was is that both of my daughters trying to fit in the back seat, um, it, it would have worked if I had cut their legs off. Oh, so, it's like a 911. Uh, y- yes, but I don't think that much leg room. <laughs> so. Depends on which year for the 911. Yeah. So anyways, but yeah, but I mean, I mean, you know, you're talking, uh, I mean, uh, so roughly, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm talking about the second gen, which is from like 95 to 99. Okay. Um, I mean, and they were, you know, upwards of around 200 to 210 horsepower. Wow. I mean, they, they were fast. They were really, really fast. Not reliable, <laughs> but they were fast. 
like their all-wheel drive systems, when they worked, phenomenal. They would eat themselves alive, and the turbos would absolutely roast if they were at anything, uh, you know, you know, because uh, they 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 had the, uh, the 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 turbo timers. Sounds like you're almost describing an Italian car. A, a Japanese Italian car, yeah, that's probably about right. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I wow. mean, you know, but it, it's 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 amazing because, you know, like like you said, you know, Nissan and Mitsubishi both got hit really kind of hard with you know the 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 collapse of the Japanese market, you know, in the in around two thousand, um, but. You know, I mean, you had, but I, I think one of the one of the cars that was probably, you know, the one that <sighs> I, I think kind of put a put a real kind of you know ding and everything um, for for Mitsubishi was they they made the transition to they they could have just moved into the uh uh sorry um so in the early 2000s both Honda and Toyota took their existing cars and uh and suvs and move them upscale they 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 put more uh more effort into their products whereas both nissan and mitsubishi did the opposite they tried to make them more flashy but cheapen the build quality um a la the 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 american model what would i like to call when you a lot of friends well okay people who are upset at me prove me wrong well i mean that no, was the line that, at mz no, car guys i mean that design philosophy will not win you a lot of friends well, uh, I mean, if if you take a look at it, so both Nissan and, or sorry, both uh, Toyota and Honda, and, and 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 I think we can make this this very big comparison. So both Toyota and Honda, if you look at say a 1996 Honda Civic, and then look up a 2006 Honda Civic. There's not a whole lot of what I would call um, courage. Um, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, there, you're not thinking really outside of the box, per se. You're just kind of rounding the box's edges over. Um, you know, you're, you're keeping up with crash tests, you know, standards. And so forth, uh, making it slightly more aerodynamic, and so forth. But so realistically, the design took a backseat to everything else. For the most part, yes. 
I mean, I, I would venture to say that Honda did not, from 1994-ish to about 2015, did not really take any big chances with the design of the Civic. I'd agree to that. There, you know, there, there, there wasn't a whole lot of chances taken. I mean, and if you take a look at the the Corolla, I was just going to say, kind of the same thing. Except I would argue the the Corolla hasn't taken any chances through the 2020 model that just came out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, your your top of the line engine is still less powerful than the you know, the, the, the top of the line engine for Honda, your direct competitor. Yeah. Really Toyota anyways, but, but yeah, I mean, but I mean, back to, you know, back to Nissan and back to Mitsubishi, I mean, both of them basically started doing the same thing wrong. Uh, I mean, Nissan got rid of, you know, it's, they, they got rid of its hard body, the, the Nissan hard body pickup truck. It was a great pickup truck. Um, you know, kind of lived in the shadow of you know of of the Toyota Tacoma or Toyota Hilux, however you want to call it. Um, and they didn't, uh, they didn't really, you know, decide to put a lot of effort into it. Um, you know, it's their, you know, the the the, the Pathfinder was the pathfinder was was good while yeah for a while yeah so but when everybody went to you know when when honda went to the rav4 or honda went to the crv and toyota went to the rav4 and the pathfinder just kind of remained the pathfinder but but, the, but that's that's not the right category, right? I mean the uh, the CRV and the Rav4 compete with the Rogue. No no no, I I I know that today it competes with the Rogue, but you had the Passport, you know you know Honda well, you know, the Honda Passport Suzu Rodeo slash, um, yeah, but then when Honda started making its own stuff, but wasn't wasn't had, the Passport an Terra competitor? Yeah. Well, and you had the Xterra, which was, uh, you know, a, a good vehicle. It was an adventure they, vehicle. Yeah, but they, they just, it, it wasn't well built. It, you know, it, you know, it, if you really truly want to see the build quality of a vehicle, look at how many are still on the road today versus what they originally put together and you know it's just not there you know there's not very many xterras there there's a ridiculous amount of first generation pilots first generation crvs first generation rav4s First generation Highlanders. That's true. 
you know. Yeah. When's the last time you saw uh, a late 90s Ford Explorer? There you go. They're apparently all on their roofs. Thank you, Firestone. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Sorry about yeah, that. I've actually might might be too obscure at this point. Might be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, might be going over over the uh, over the over the heads of the young folks. Over the young. Really, did you say young folks? I really did just say young folks. I uh, just got a crick. I just got a crick in my back. Thank you. <laughs> my, I, my my pinch sciatic is acting up. Yeah. But but anyways, but I mean, you know, and and Mitsubishi just went all sorts of whack. Um, <laughs> although, and, and I'll, I'll get to this later. Although I do believe that Mitsubishi makes currently the the most honest transportation out there currently. Oh right, yeah, we will get to that yeah. later. Um, yeah, yeah. One thing, one thing I do want to bring up, which is that the one thing I think Mitsubishi has done really well, and they don't get enough credit for, was they were the first ones I know of to double down on crossovers. Oh yeah, well the Mitsubishi Montero was amazing. Well, what's what's Absolutely what's the one that's out now? The one, the one that just came out like within the last year that actually is objectively not ugly, like almost good looking. Is that the Montero? I think it is a Montero. Uh, it's, it's like a Rav Four CRV size. Um, I don't know. I don't care enough about okay. Mitsubishi to pay attention. Okay. Here's, here's 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 what I'll go ahead and say then. The car that I think is called the Montero, which is the current generation model that came out within the last year or so, to me looks like a like someone took a CRV and took all the ugly out of it, especially from no, a right on. I take exception to that. I'm sure you do. Because I like the way that the new uh, the new CRV looks. Never understand you. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, At least the wheels can be replaced so for much which are hideous. Oh, the Outlander. Is that what it is? The Outlander or the Outlander Sport? I've Sure. Yeah, the Outlander looks pretty good. I do whatever, have to say that whatever their have, compact crossover is. Well, that yeah, that's the Outlander Sport. Now they do have one called the Eclipse Cross, which just absolutely pisses me off to no end. That is just an app that I, I I I can't even say that without just like throwing up partially. Uh, I'm I'm going to riff off of that for just a second because the oh, the thing the Eclipse Cross reminds me most of all is it reminds me of a Murano Cross Cabriolet. Not necessarily how it looks, but just in terms of what they've done with that name and what they've done to the vehicle. Yeah. Which happens to be a Nissan. And guys, if you have not seen a Murano Cross Cabriolet, which I can't blame you because there are like unicorns out there, thank goodness. Look at any picture of one, any picture. Tell me that wasn't a bad idea that should never have gotten off a sheet of paper. Well, I, I think it was, I think I'm correct in that it was, it was a uh, Motor Trend magazine, which said uh, the, the Mitsubishi Murano's. Uh, Nissan Murano. Sorry, Nissan Murano 
uh, Cabriolet uh, was an answer to a question no one was asking. <laughs> and what's really I, ironic about that is the fact that five, ten years later, Range Rover came out with, with the Evoque convertible, and everyone said, oh, that's not bad looking. Uh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I think the Evoke convertible is still ridiculous. Although it makes much more sense in a Land Rover than it does in a Nissan. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyways, but, um, but yeah, but I mean, as far as, now I do have to say that there, there, we 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 do have to if we're going to talk about Nissan, we do have to talk about the Godzilla in the room. <laughs> you really just said that, didn't you? You like that? You like no, that? Really... Anyways, <sighs> yes. Wait, do do I... you want to start with it? Sure. Let's go ahead and go all the way back. So whether you were referring to the R thirty two, which was never meant to have the cachet that it eventually did, but they just kept evolving the car through the Grand Touring uh, racing program that it got into, or the R33, which is nothing more than a uh, slightly more powerful version of the R32, or the R34 that Jeremy Clarkson raved about on an old episode of Top Gear, which is all the episodes of Top Gear, or the R35, which is the first version that came to the U.S. that we all know and love as, the Nissan GTR, the car that's been around since 2009 with only subtle changes mechanically and cosmetically over the last 10 years. And before I let Zach take the floor on this one, I do want to make a note. When that car came out, its major criticism was that it felt very video gamey, very disconnected from the steering wheel, and now it's considered to have above average feel in the handling. I think that speaks more for how cars have gone nowadays versus <laughs> versus the actual car itself. Now, I do have to I, I do have to point out I have never actually driven a GTR. I've never actually driven a GTR. I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to, um, but I think it because I can't really speak to the older versions. I know that there's a huge cult following especially now that the R32 and I believe the R33 are now eligible to be brought into the United States. Yeah, I think the uh, R33 is this year or next year, but yeah, we're right on the cusp. Yeah, so... And it's a 25-year uh, rule, by the way. Canada has a 15-year rule. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, so... so those are those are very storied cars. They have a lot of you know a lot of followings and so forth. Anyways, so I've sat in a GTR. It was especially at the time, which was two thousand and seven. Uh, you know, two thousand seven, two thousand eight is when it kind of came to. Uh, yeah, two thousand eight is actually I think it was two thousand nine when it actually launched in. America. The R35, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, 2009. And I remember sitting in one, and the guy came in, and he turned it on for me. 
not actually cranked it up, just turned it, you know, turned all the systems on so I could see everything. And yeah, it was, they, they took the Gran Turismo game, which I believe was Gran Turismo three or four at that time. Um, and that's probably my favorite Gran Turismo of all of the Gran Turismos because it allowed you to have like, like, like you could, you know, be very, very specific about setting a car up, you know, perfectly, you know, you could set the suspension up, you could set the, you know, the, the, all the aerodynamics and everything up and so forth. But it's like they took that idea of, you know, just bonkers, uh, customization and applied it to not only the infotainment system and what you could actually have up there, but also the dash and, and what the dash would actually show you. Hmm. Um, and, um, but a very comfortable car. I remember it was a very comfortable seat, a very like, like a hugging seat. Um, not to the same level of say like a, uh, a type R, like a Civic Type R, um, with those ex- extremely side bolstered seats and stuff like that, uh, but very similar. Um, but it was very comfortable, and and I could I, I could definitely see uh, how it kind of would go through. Uh, not the best sounding car, but not the worst. Well, the B6 have... was never going to sound amazing. Well, I, but I'd have to say that of all the V6s that I've heard, it's decent. Um, It is ridiculously quick. Like even, I I think even to this day, if you were to take a 2009 GTR and put it up against most everything, I think it still has a very quick zero to 60 time. I know Um, it's under... Pretty sure it's under three. I just can't remember exactly. Three. I don't think it's under three. I think I, it. I well, think I, it, I know. I know you can get a stock GTR now that's under three. But I'm not sure which one. But but regardless, your 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 point stands. Um, I do want to bring up a couple of mechanical things and a couple of really important notes because I mentioned R32. Blah 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 blah. Okay, so those yeah. are chassis codes, right? Those, those are those are sort of generations of what used to be called the Nissan Skyline with a GTR version. So the Nissan Skyline itself was nothing special. The Nissan Skyline was I'm trying to think of a good example here. Uh, like, like, well, yeah, like an Accord Coupe, right? Because they were all two-door. Yeah. Okay, it was an Accord Coupe, right? But then you had this GTR version, which is Grand Touring Racing homologated for the street because Nissan wanted to go racing, and they did really well at it. I mean, really well. Yeah. That car won a ton of races. It was an inline six, uh, 2.5 or 6 later when it started out. Someone's going to correct me on that, I know. Um, and with a 5-suit manual, like you do, uh, the R33 was the same car. I think a slightly higher displacement. Might have gone from 2.5 to 2.6. Uh, same 5-suit manual. And then the R34 was uh, also an inline six with even more displacement and a six-speed manual. And that, that was the last one that was actually called the Skyline GTR. 
it was yeah. with the R35 chassis that it became simply known as the Nissan GTR, and they got rid of the family car option, and it just became GTR. But this, but a regular Skyline itself is nothing special. It's just a car. And uh, actually, uh, Brian, regular car reviews, uh, made a really good point about that in a review he did about a year ago where he drove a base stock Skyline uh, when he was in New Zealand. And uh, it's, it's worth looking into if you guys are all interested in uh, wacky YouTube car reviews. Yeah. Well, so, so to give you an idea of the... So, it, it, and mind you, teleport yourself back a decade. I can't believe it's been, you know, because we say a 2009, and that's actually been 10 years ago. Um, so, teleport yourself back to a decade with the, the, the first GTR to come to the United States. And uh, I believe it was one of the first vehicles offered with launch control. Yeah. And it achieved a 3.2 second 0 to 60. In 2009, that's not bad. That's really impressive. I mean, you know, I think the average at the time was over three and a half. Oh, the average was right around four. Right, for, for a supercar. Cars and stuff, yeah. And the GTR stickered for less than $100,000. Yes, it was. It was around 80000 I believe. It's just amazing. I mean, now it's, I want to say it's like 120, 130, but part of that's inflation and part of that's just making a better car. Yeah. So, you know, but I, I think if, you know, and, and kind of on the complete opposite side of the scale and stuff, and I'll get back to, you know, Mitsubishi in a second here, but I, I think if you really have to talk about if Nissan's real contribution to the automotive world, um, other than the GTR, is its Nissan Leaf, uh, the the largest number of electric vehicles sold under one nameplate is the Leaf. Electric car for the masses. Electric car for the masses. Um, it had, I think, starting off, it had like right around. 80, 90 miles and very quickly went to over a hundred miles range. Um, you know, and, and that was, you know, I mean, if you, if you kind of think of, you know, the, the, the Tesla as what kind of pushed everybody into the electric future, um, socially, Yes, but for all practical purposes, it was the Nissan Leaf that actually did it, you know, actually pushing them. Yeah, uh, I was reading an article not too long ago that um, that uh, the town of Longmont, Colorado, apparently is so filled with electric cars that it's actually been nicknamed Leafmont, Colorado. Which is I pretty amazing. Yes, and and I've been in one. It's 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 a nice vehicle. It, it is nope. a nice vehicle. Second, second gen. I'm sorry. 
Was that first gen or second gen? Uh, second gen. The yeah, I've heard lots of the first gen. Gen, Yeah, the, the first gen was a little bit cartoony. Um, but of course, this is in the same world that, you know, the Toyota Prius exists. So I'm okay. Uh, but yeah, the second generation uh, Nissan Leaf, uh, which they actually, they just announced that there'll be one that'll do 220 miles, I believe. Um, like like a, really a, a Nissan Leaf Plus. Yeah, I, I think I think with a with an electric car, you really truly have to get above two hundred miles range to for it to be um, a, a a a real contender for um, being a replacement for a gasoline internal combustion car. Yeah, you know, because if because if you have like like mine, I have a a Clarity Electric, which has a, a a theoretical range of about ninety miles. In all actuality, how I drive, I get between seventy and eighty um, on a normal basis. Uh, yeah, I you know I, we it's good for commuting and stuff, but it's. I can't go on a real road trip with it without, you know, daisy chaining like what we did with my, my Honda fit going down to LA and back. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it, and, and I, I think that's going to be much more of its legacy um, than I think the, 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 G, the GTR because the GTR even though they've kind of made little tweaks here and there with it, they haven't really done much with it. And so it's as far as performance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, it's just like in terms of perspective on range, you know, people, people have gotten ridiculously obsessive over, you know, can it do 300 miles or 350 miles and all this nonsense. And it's like, come on, my, Saturn beater car has a 250 mile range with a full tank of gas. So yeah. stuff, stuff with all this 500 mile range yeah. stuff being, you know, your new bare minimum. I, I, okay. I get it. If you live in some place where it snows half the year and your range drops by 30, 40% because you're running the heater and all that stuff. And because of the battery heat and all that. Okay. Then maybe you have an argument for 400 mile range being the minimum, but outside of that, stop you know and, and temperature stability is only going to go up as electric as the car batteries get better so yeah so I, so i, I want to flip back to mitsubishi and 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 i think mitsubishi has the the best most honest automobile out there um, and that is the, the Mitsubishi Mirage G4. Hold on. What is the Mitsubishi Mirage G4? The Mitsubishi Mirage G4 is a ridiculously cheap, basically four wheels and a steering wheel, steering wheel optional, um, 
just kind of oh yeah you're talking so so this is a sedan this isn't the the hatchback because the hatchback is actually even cheaper but with a five-speed manual transmission it starts at 14.7 before destination yeah uh, it has, uh, hold on, let me get the specs here real quick. So the engine is a massive 1.2 liter three-cylinder non-turbo. Uh, and yes, this is a 2019 when I say these horsepower numbers. And no, this is not a, uh, a Japanese spec <laughs> market only car but right, like, 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 cuz the engine's too big for a K car uh yeah 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 1.2 liters yeah uh so horsepower is 78 at 6000 rpms and the torque is 74 pound feet of torque um the transmissions are either CVT and I think with that amount of power, having a CVT, I would become uh, – I, I think I would slowly lose the will to live. Uh, but I have heard that it's five-speed manual transmission. That is correct. In 2019, we have a five-speed manual transmission. Uh, the car actually can be a little bit more fun to drive. Yes, I said fun to drive. Um, but the best thing is, is that it's fuel economy, um, is it's, it's actually, uh, 33 city, 40 highway, 35 combined with the manual transmission, which is better I say with well, that's about well, that's within two miles per gallon of a uh, of a stick shift Civic. Yeah. Which begs the question. Why would you? <laughs> Six thousand dollars cheaper than a Civic. Yes, and it's also much cheaper, obviously. That's incredible. Yeah. So if now, you don't care about you know a bunch of features and stuff like that now i would absolutely not suggest anyone purchase this vehicle for anything other than the absolute cheapest 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 version uh which is the es manual transmission um because yeah sure you can go up to the se or the rf to get you know like uh, Windows. The active safety features, I believe, it comes available with, or Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, infotainment systems, and stuff like that. But if you do that, now you're getting, uh, you know, because like the ES is starts at fifteen nine. Now you're getting a little bit, you know, up there and stuff like that. Uh, the the RF. Get rid of this thing. Well, when you when you can buy a when 
you can buy a brand new 2019 Corolla after incentives for less than 16000 Yeah. You know, but I mean, you're... You're at seventeen four on the SE model, and then sixteen four for the RF model. Um, why would you? Right. <laughs> Just, you know. Yeah. So basically, it's it's an absolute. It's a it's a city car for someone on a budget, kind of like that uh, that classic Simpsons episode where the guy's driving the micro car and steps out and he's like six foot four. Yeah, but. Here's the cool thing. I've actually sat in one of these. I haven't driven one, but I actually sat in one of these. A very nice, comfortable car to sit in. It's, that's, uh, that's it, 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 its seat is very kind of uh, more older school uh, with kind of like a flat seat bottom, you know, not a whole lot of side bolstering and stuff like that, but very cushy and felt kind of decent. So... I, uh, I, I, I think the, I, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm too encouraged about the future of Mitsubishi in America. Um, you know, Mitsubishi Motors in America is, eh, you know, I, I, I don't really know. I mean, the Outlander. They, they seem to be hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Um, Nissan, I think uh, once they can get past uh, the whole turmoil of their uh, their CEO basically being arrested, I think for a second time or now, uh, uh, he's uh, either been convicted or is going to trial soon. Yeah, but um, you know, and then he's having like a big fight with them and stuff like that. I think once they can get past that, um, I think. Nissan has a possible chance. Uh, well, they, they, they do. It's the the yeah, well before you get into the into the new products, just for a second, the the thing that's both encouraging and discouraging is if you're a company who had to partner up with Renault to get some financial stability, I have serious questions about your judgment and how <laughs> desperate you were. But the other thing is, if you do have the money from Renault. You've got the money from Renault, so go for it. Uh, but yeah, but I'm, I'll get you back. Get back to the cars that make a difference. But the 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 level of enthusiast anticipation for the R36, the brand new GTR that's coming eventually, whatever that means, is probably going to reach super like levels because that's got huge, huge expectations on it, massive shoes to fill. I, I would agree that it has that it has massive shoes to fill, but I don't think you're going to have nearly as much anticipation. Mainly because we've just we've had the GTR for so long in its current form. Yeah. That you know, we, we just I don't know. It was it was a huge leap from the R34 to the R35, and not just because they made it a uh, a world car, not a JDM car. Yeah. But uh... so but I, I you know I I think I think both Mitsubishi I you know I think Nissan has a potential um, especially with the Leaf 
uh, because I believe they're just now uh, having a profit with the building of the leaf. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and um, and the fact that they're you know the 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 Nissan Leaf the uh, the extended version um, competing head to head with the 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 Tesla Model Three as far as range. Um, yeah. yeah. And and because I think as far as sedans go, other than a Tesla, you know it's you know the 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 leaf is I think definitely right up in there. And so, Do you have any kind of information for any of that kind of thing you can pull up quickly about what kind of MSRP we're looking at on that extended range leaf? Yeah, sure. Let me uh, go into that right now. Go ahead and because talk to the voice. Yeah, I, have, I have an agenda because while Zach's pulling that up, um, as, as a lot of you um, auto enthusiasts probably know and some of you may not, the, uh, the $35,000 Model 3 that Elon Musk promised is, for all intents and purposes, dead. It's just it's not going to happen. They've, they've said as much. Uh, the last I checked, the average selling price of a Model Three was a touch over fifty thousand dollars. And there's three models now. And the it's the standard, the performance, and the extended range. And the, the autonomous driving features, which is heavily mislabeled, is something like five to $8,000 a vehicle. So that's why the, the selling price is so high. So essentially what you end up with is at an average selling price of 55,000, you're now 20,000 over that number that was being touted for so long, the $35,000 Model 3, $35,000, starting at $35,000. Well, guess what? Now they're starting about $52,000, give or take. Yeah, the uh, the Nissan Leaf Plus, which has the 62 kilowatt hour battery pack, which gives it a range of 226 miles, mm-hmm. which is, in my own personal opinion, more than enough to consider it to be a replacement for a gasoline engine. Well, to use the words of another luxury manufacturer, adequate. There you go. Um, and... Uh, you know, that starts off at about mid thirties, about thirty six five. That's incredible. That's what uh, a that's what, that's what a base leaf used to run. Yeah. And a Nissan Leaf SL Plus, uh, which is their top of the line, which has their Pro Pilot Assist, uh, and a Bose premium sound system and blind spot monitoring and so forth and so on. Uh you're only talking $42.5. Okay, so basically, you're comparably equipped. You're ten grand cheaper than a Tesla, and you're buying from a company that's not going to go out of business in five years. Uh, yeah. I'm all for that. I mean, you know, the, the counter arguments can be about what about the charge time and stuff, but you know what? That stuff's always improving. And, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that the Leaf supports uh, level three charging, which is not slow. 
it, it does support level three charging. Um, unfortunately, Nissan still insists upon, uh, you know, not doing uh, the the regular combo. Uh, well, that's that's the funny thing is is the port the charging port I saw, and please correct me on this if you see something different on your Google image search. But the but the the charging port I saw on the second generation Leaf shows two charging ports on the same vehicle. One is Chatmo, yeah. and one is level three. No, uh, so it's it's uh, so you have the Chatmo, which is their level three. Okay. Fast charging. Uh, and then you have the the, uh, the J seventeen seventy two, which is the level two. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if, so, you the, if you use the one the leaf was made for originally, you get the fastest possible charging. If you need to, in a pinch, you can use the one that's sort of like a backup, the one that's the most universal standard in the U.S., closest to universal. Yeah. And get slower charging. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so you can do the level two charging, and that's actually what it comes with standard is the J1772, and you have to actually get the upgrade to the uh, the 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 Chatmo fast charging DC fast charging. And and now I'm hearing that there's actually multiple tiers of DC fast or level three charging. There's like 100 kilowatt station, yeah, 400 kilowatt, all this crazy nonsense now that's going to make things even more complicated for the average consumer. That's not yes. where we should be going. It should be yeah. making it... Yeah, in some places, like on my on my Clarity, and there's some places that I can DC fast charge in half an hour. Um, you know, at the absolute highest extreme. Uh, normally right around 45 minutes. For mine. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's... And and, and and I don't want this to kind of morph into a talk about electric cars for the most part, but I think, you know, Nissan's going to have to come to the, to they're going to have to get away from Chatmo, and, and everything's going to have to go to DC combo. It just makes sense. Uh, and they just now uh, have made a uh, a DC combo to Tesla connector. So you can now have uh, somebody actually made a, a connector which plugs into that, that a, a Tesla supercharger plugs into and then that plugs into a DC combo. So just to make sure we can clarify that. So you take your adapter and you drive up to a Tesla charger, pay for it, and you can use it? Uh, well, I don't know if they make a Chatmo one connector, but I, I know that they've just now, they I think somebody introduced a... Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, you, can you can take your Clarity EV or other or a similar vehicle. Yeah. Anything uh, other than a Nissan Leaf. Yes. <laughs> Huh. So then the question becomes, how do you get access to that juice, right? Because you have to have an account with Tesla. But I guess if you can, I guess I figured it out a way. Yeah. So well, anyway. Maybe one of the more abrupt endings to our podcast. But um, I think we've uh, come to a natural conclusion, which is uh, be really careful if you're buying a, a Nissan or a Mitsubishi. 
Yep. And, uh, you know, good luck to both of them. I hope they get their head out of the sand. And uh, uh, I do want to mention one last thing before we go, the very last thing, promise, which is that uh, we did not forget about Infinity. We simply didn't mention Infinity because we couldn't think of anything to say about them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Infinity, uh, extremely confusing names yep. of cars. Um, and uh, I sometimes have a hard time when I see a car thinking, okay, is that an Infinity or is that a Lexus? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and QX for SUV, and when the numbers get bigger, so does the size of the vehicle. After that, you lost me. Yeah. So, yay, Infinity. <laughs> yay, you still exist. <laughs> so, I'll make some all right. Really compelling someday. All right. Well, vroom, vroom, Matt. All right. We'll see you next week. Have a good night. Bye bye.